Seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. I'm with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be jam-packed week of content and information you'll not want to miss. So let's jump right in. You know, each and every week, I have the opportunity to learn from just amazing people doing amazing things. And, you know, no better way to kick off the program than uh, today's conversation with the one, the only... That's right. It is Jamal Ford, and he is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Drums Earwear and the director of community outreach at High Level Speech and Hearing Center. Jamal is truly just a force in strategic planning and innovative marketing. He's got a lot of experience, which we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. Um, and through innovation and strategic planning, High Level Hearing was awarded one of the fastest growing companies. And he has a program Wealth List, which we are going to talk all about. Very, very relevant information in this new year. Jamal Ford, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm super glad to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, super happy to have you. So let's start in the very beginning. I've got a lot of advice uh, to ask you about, which I know is relevant to our listeners, but I'd love to get to know the person behind the microphone. In 30 seconds or less, Jamal, what do you want our listeners to know about you? So I'm a second generation entrepreneur. I kind of grew up in entrepreneurship. So uh, like they say, my parents uh, floor, um, but my parents ceiling was my floor. So it was great for me to learn from them. And I have a master's in kinesiology, human performance. I transitioned over to corporate wellness. And from corporate wellness, I was able to learn how to do contracts and strategic planning. And from there, opened up a clinic now transitioning the wealth list to help other companies um, be able to grow and scale. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, there's a lot of relevance in uh, in all of those areas that you've been involved in that's truly relevant to entrepreneurs of all different backgrounds. But your personal diverse, and yes, your background, Jamal, is very, very diverse professional background. How has it shaped your perspective on healthcare and business as a whole? I definitely think that it's super important, especially in the field of uh, just entrepreneurship, to always remember health, wealth, and relationships is always important and relevant in all things. So many times when you have a business, if you can uh, kind of target health, wealth, and relationships, you'll always have a customer base. So that's how my experiences kind of um, guided me <laughs> towards doing the things that I've done in entrepreneurship. And Jamal, I've listened to a couple of your previous interviews and some of the things that you've written in the past. And you talk a lot about the the D word, that's data. I, so you collect a lot of data to make this sort of realization that the problem with no-shows is more emotional than logistics. And obviously, again, as we said in your background, you've been running again clinics and so on. So this is something that, you know, it's the bread and butter of what you do. So where did that, where did that sort of data lead you to that realization? Well, I think that um, data is super important because many times 
you can find trends and patterns in how people move and what people decide to do. Many things, many times people think these things are spontaneous and sporadic, but they're actually pr- being pretty consistent. Um, people are habitual. So once you understand people's habits, they actually can convert into data and that data can be used to actually scale your business. So that's why I believe that data driven analysis and data driven um, decisions are super important in any business. Okay, so so I want to get really into the nuts and bolts because this program is about you know getting down to business over here. So one of the bits of data that you found is that you saw that about sixty percent of individuals tend to remain within ten miles of their origin. So what's the strategy over here, Jamal? How did you come across this insight, and how do you think businesses can harness local community bonds more effectively? So. In my research, especially uh, running and operating clinics, really trying to figure out who are my uh, target audience and what's going on, I came across data understanding um, the travel patterns and the living patterns of most people. And the data suggests that 60% of people live within within 10 miles of where they grew up and about another 80% live within 100 miles of where they actually grew up. So this is very important. So when you are, for instance, Googling restaurants near me, um, it's really the restaurants within 3.5 miles of your area. So if you understand that, you understand that people actually are looking um, within three and a half miles around, or they're getting information about three and a half miles from where their business is. If you understand that, then you need to make sure that you have word of mouth within the three and a half miles are around your business. So that way, when people are referring people, they're going to refer people to your business, no matter what it is, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a hospital, um, whether it's a clinic, that's super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I'm chatting with Jamal Ford. Like I said, the co-founder, chief strategy officer of Drums Earwear, director of community outreach at High Level Speech and Hearing Center. And as you were just saying, this founder of this new concept of Wealth List. So, Jamal, let's get into how you spend your days and I'd be willing to bet probably some of your nights. Can you share a little bit more about how your concept of your waiting list is your wealth list? How did that evolve and can you provide some concrete steps for healthcare professionals to tap into this underutilized resource? Yeah. So one of the biggest things I found was that many people, whether it's in the health industry or any industry, they typically find themselves always trying to find new clients, new patients, new people to sell services to. And it's very hard to build trust um, with a potential client or potential patient from that particular standpoint. Many times it takes seven hours of interaction or communication about your business, about 11 interactions in four different locations. For those people to say, oh, wow, well, I'm going to decide to work with this particular person. So in clinic standpoint, many times you wind up having people come to your clinic one time a year and they leave and they are finding out, oh, I have high blood pressure. Oh, I have, um, you know, uh, diabetes. And so you give them a prescription, they'll leave, they'll go get that medication. And that pharmacy is going to make a monthly income on that particular a patient or client or whatever, whereas you only got to see that patient one time a year. Um, The one thing about that particular thing is that the people need more than just medication. They also need additional services, understanding how to deal with those things. That's where WealthList comes in. WealthList comes in to say, okay, I understand you're dealing with high blood pressure. These are the things that you can do. And here is a, um, 
a SAS or a software that can help you maintain your blood pressure, give you all the exercises, all the nutritional guidance, and you may charge 20 to $30 a month for that particular program. And so um, an example is, let's say another example is, say a dentist has someone comes in and they have cavities. They may feel the cavity, but the per- the person's dental care was the reason they got the cavity in the first place. So why isn't that dentist offering uh, a subscription for a toothpaste, toothbrush, or the right stuff to help them maintain their dental health? So WealthList kind of comes and creates a bespoke program for different clinics, different um, in different um, industries, and help them um, create residual income on a month-to-month basis. That's powerful. That's powerful. And there's a lot of lessons there, like like uh, I've been saying, that's relevant. Obviously, we, we just gave some examples in the healthcare space, which Jamal, I know, you know, a lot of your bread and butter, but ultimately, along the way, you've learned lessons, true, true, uh, you know, nuggets in entrepreneurship. So I'd love to pick your brain on that. Jamal, what's the one bit of advice that you give to somebody that's tuning into this program you know, from the beginning of 2024, they're getting started in the healthcare industry, or maybe just entrepreneurship in general? What, what homework assignments would you uh, tell them to look into? I would definitely say the most important thing is um, there's a lot of change that's going on, especially at this particular time, just across the United States or even across the world. And it can sometimes feel difficult to um, come into entrepreneurship and to gain some level of traction. Consistency is key. And I think that being able to not just set a large goal, but also having those small goals, those day to day goals are the things that will help you get to from point A to point Z. You got to also celebrate those small wins that help you uh, propel yourself to the end of the road. So I would say really the best advice I can give you is just be consistent, um, stay consistent, make sure that you're um, checking the boxes every day. And hopefully at the end of the road, you'll see yourself hitting those goals. Yeah, because there's going to be those roadblocks, there's going to be those hurdles, but ultimately staying focused on that on that prize at the end of the line. You've done that, Jamal, and you certainly had a lot to show for it, and we appreciate you sharing it with all of our listeners. Jamal, one of the most important homework assignments that I could give our listeners is get in touch with you. Um, you've got a lot of knowledge and information to share, WealthList, and so much more. Jamal, how can we get in touch? So you can go to www.brandmaven.io to get information about uh, WealthList and about other services that we offer. We offer business strategy, um, brand audits. We offer um, SEO assistance to help you dominate the three and a half miles around your area. Um, and you can also contact us anytime at um, 985-312-7797. And we'll be more than happy to help you with whatever your goals are in business. Powerful stuff, Jamal. Really great conversation. Really great to uh, chat with you. Definitely, we'll link in our show notes as well. Be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Rabali from healthplanchicago.com. Healthplanchicago.com for all of your health insurance and affordable care needs. But don't touch that dog. We'll be right back and get down to business. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm so excited to be joined by Ellen Ken, who is an innovation strategist, trainer, facilitator, and speaker with over 20 years of experience helping companies navigate innovation challenges. She's the founder and principal consultant at Fire Up Innovation Consulting, where she guides Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, and nonprofits to understand innovation, create innovative new products and services, and build effective teams and support a user-centered culture. And I'm so excited for this conversation because um, Ellen is also the author 
of a fantastic read. It's called Fire Up Innovation, Sparking and Sustaining Innovation Teams. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Shalom. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely excited to have you. So I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. I mean, I know you are fired up um, on the topic of innovation, but where did you catch that bug initially? Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, it's a long story, but I make it short for the audience. Um, so I was born and raised in Paris and I went to business school and of business school, I was trying to find the most creative job I could do. And so I worked in advertising for a while and really loved the novelty and especially the new products. And then I moved to this country almost 30 years ago, uh, worked in marketing research for a little bit and then, um, was kind of, uh, good at it and really bored with it. And so I went back to school and I got an MS in creativity and change leadership from Buffalo State and really kind of been focusing my practice around innovation and change for the past 15 years. Absolutely. And you capture many of those lessons in, you know, I, I hesitate calling it a book because it's really a roadmap um, to help solve some, some real challenges. And because today's challenges, again, whether it's individual business focused or world problems are complex and, and we know that it requires that innovation. So again, the book is called Fire Up Innovation, Sparking and Sustaining Innovation Teams. So let's talk a little bit about one of the things that's in the book is you stress the importance of diversity, of diversity in driving innovation. Why is that, Ellen? Why? Because uh, as you mentioned, problems are really complex. And so we really need to embrace multiple perspectives. And so diversity of everything is really important from background to experiences, to race, to uh, gender, to uh, also diversity of thinking, which is something that is not talked about so much, but uh, we need people that solve problems differently. And together, it might be a little more challenging uh, than people that look like us and do things like us, but it's actually how you're going to be able to solve complex problems and offering solutions that are actually going to meet multiple um, customers and users because they also have multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so in the book, you talk a little bit about the characteristics of the innovation process, because many of our listeners know the word innovation, and they think they understand it. But you talk about the process in, in a couple of minutes or so. I mean, Ellen, can you outline what does that process look like for somebody that hasn't really explored innovation and studied it quite like you and your team? Yes. Uh, and I think it's really important because uh, we often focus on the outcome of innovation, which of course is really important, but what is going to enable it and what enable a better outcome is uh, a very specific process that is clear and that is shared within the team. Uh, there's a lot of different processes, but the big picture is when you need to solve a problem, there's four things you have to do. First, you have to understand the problem. Then you have to come up with potential ideas. Then you have to develop those ideas into solution, prototype, and test them. And then finally, the step four is to implement them. And so we need to do all this, uh, but we need to understand um, how to do it together. We also need to understand that we might have preference for different of those four parts. And so if I work with somebody, if my preference is really spending a lot of time understanding a problem, which we call clarifying, and I'm working with somebody else whose preference is to get things done, um, if we don't understand that, there might be a lot of friction because I'm asking all those questions, I want more data, and the person on the other end just want to get things done. 
Uh, but if we understand that, we understand that those skills and those way of thinking are both welcome because we need to be sure we have the right problem, but we also need to be able to have solutions that we can implement. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Ellen Can, who is the author of Fire Up Innovation, Sparking and Sustaining Innovation Teams. Yeah, definitely looking at you know the, the outline that you just provided. Um, is really fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. And we know that sometimes, you know, the solutions we come up on the, on the first try may not work. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting being flexible is certainly, you know, a big part of it. And I've been thinking about that quite a bit in advance of this conversation. One of the unique things going on right now as we have this conversation in 2024 is that there's a lot of new solutions that are out there. One of the big buzzwords, with, which we talk about quite a bit on this program is AI, artificial intelligence. So, you know, Ellen, it's it's all the rage right now, but where does AI come into in the innovation process? And that's a really good question, and it's obviously changing every day. So I'm just going to give the answer that I think is relevant right now. Uh, and it is that, uh, you know, in a creative and innovative process, there's two things we have to do. We have to diverge and look at options be options of ways to look at the problem, ways to look at ideas, ways to develop solution, or even ways to implement a plan. But we also need to converge and make those decisions. And I think that uh, AI can be used uh, definitely on the diverging piece. They can help you collect data. They can help you list a bunch of problems. They can uh, help you coming up with a, ad- additional ideas and the team might not have. They might help you create prototype uh, faster and cheaper, uh, and uh, they might help you try different things. But at the end of the day, I think uh, as human, I still have a place to make those decisions because they think that we know from our own experience, from our um, from the perspective that I think AI is not that great yet at uh, capturing. So that would be my take: is uh, use it as a partner as you innovate. Uh, but also, uh, you know, be very aware of how you want to make the decision. And the other thing with AI, it's a black box. So as a group, we can decide and be clear about how we decide. But if we let AI do it, how do we know how they actually even come up with their options? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if we have this conversation in even just a few months, I'm sure that that will evolve and change probably many more times, but really great perspective right now. And, you know, again, we're chatting about fire up innovation. And obviously, innovation is something that you know, often it's, I know you talk a lot about in the book, you know, there's some uh, large teams, high performing, you know, there, there's, there's teams that are out there and certainly innovation is key in those, in those Fortune 500 companies, many of which you consult with. But it's also true in small businesses, maybe even more relevant in entrepreneurial organizations. So, Ellen, I mean, we only have a few minutes, but I'd love to get your advice for, you know, for the entrepreneurs, the small business owners that are tuning in and they're thinking, gosh, this all sounds wonderful when you've got large resources, when you have all those, you know, deep pockets to pull from. But what about the small business owner and the, and the person that's just getting started right now? What advice would you share that's relevant to them? Well, I think it's relevant for everybody. And I would say, uh, especially in this climate, if we don't innovate, uh, it's likely that your business is going to be dead pretty soon. I know it's harsh, but that's a reality because the world is changing around us. So whether we want it or not, we have to embrace change and, um, you know, be sure that we have uh, we have way to think about it. So a lot of the tools uh, that I have in my books and the process is applies to big projects and big team, but you can do it by yourself. It applies to, okay, let's be sure I'm digging enough information and talking to enough of my users and customers that I'm sure I understand the this is the problem I need to work on. 
let's be sure when I have an idea that I uh, have more than one, but I try to have 20 or 30 or 50 uh, before I jump to the that idea, then the next step will be, let's be sure that I have some ideas of new things to do. How do I test them and prototype them so I don't go into jump into something and it's going to be really costly to fail. So I'll take the time and I can be small. I just have an idea and talk to three of my customers and see what they think about it. And just that mm-hmm. will give a lot of feedback. And then finally, when you, um, you know, implement something, same thing, you need to kind of try things and, and be sure that you get the also t- time to analyze lesson learned and failure because you can only succeed if you uh, fail at time and be willing to learn from that. Absolutely. Ellen, I really enjoyed our conversation. I've learned a lot about Firing Up Innovation, which is the name of the book, Fire Up Innovation, Sparking and Sustaining Innovation Teams. Um, I can't wait to have you back on because I know that this is evolving and we're going to innovate as we go in 2024. But how can our listeners find a copy of your book and how can they get in touch with you and your team? So my book is available everywhere you can buy books. So um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. Um, And then if you're more curious, you can check my website. It's fireupinnovation.com. And there is just my general business as well as a page about my book. So if you want to, if you're curious about it. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. And be sure to get on my website, syklein.com. Of course, search on your favorite podcast app for Get Down to Business. Um, Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share wherever you're finding those podcasts. And we link to all of our amazing guests, including Ellen and everybody that we're having on to the program this week. And the best news of all is that you'll actually be dinged. You'll be notified when a new episode drops. And we link to all of our guests in the show notes as well. So again, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be back in just a moment after some quick announcements. We'll be right back on Get Down to Business. All right, we are back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Super excited for this conversation. I'm being joined by Bill Furlong, who's an executive in residence at the Ivy Business School, co-founder with Mary Crosman of Leader Character Associates Incorporated. I'm founder and co-host with Mary Crosman on the character on the Question of Character podcast. And I go on and on with the uh, with the bio. Most importantly, super excited to be joined by Bill Furlong. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Shalom. It's a, I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. We're going to talk all about the roadmap for transforming leadership in the 21st century because, you know, everybody, all of our listeners, regardless of their background, regardless of their industry, is looking for a powerful and practical framework to help bring about transformational change, certainly in this new year. Very, very relevant timing over here. Um, Bill, I know you are the co-author of The Character Compass, which is not only a book, it's really it's a roadmap for implementing leader character in all sorts of areas, which I'm excited to talk about. So, Bill, tell our listeners what you want them to know about you and your background, why you're so passionate about this, uh, about this idea of, of character. So my background is one, I spent maybe 40 years across small, medium, and large-sized organizations, for-profit, not-for-profit, and a regulator, entry-level to a senior executive to a board, front-line to back office, and I returned post-career to the Ivy Business School as an executive in residence. And the reason I'm so excited, Shalom, about leader character is is I've witnessed and seen both personally and through others the absolute transformational change that it can make in people, both individually and in their teams and in their organizations, and also personally, because you, you know you've got one character and it crosses over from your work life into your into your personal life, and it's the, the possibilities for transformational change are enormous. 
So true. So true. So leader character, obviously super important. We follow the news. We see, we see names. We hear about leaders. So, I mean, really, Bill, I have to ask, can the character of leaders be assessed and developed? Uh, the, and the answer is, Shalom, is absolutely yes. I think the starting point for this work actually came out of the global financial crisis in, in 2008 when my uh, colleagues went around the world and asked people, like, what went wrong? And one answer that kept on coming back was character. There was an absence of character in, 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 in financial institutions across the world. And then so Mary and, their, and the other researchers said, so what do you mean by character? And they got a ton of different answers. Like it was sort of regarded as something which is being very subjective. And so the challenge that, that Mary and Gerard and other research took, researchers took on at Ivy was, is, okay, we're going to define character, what it means. Um, and then we're going to actually find ways to assess it and ways to develop it. So it's gone from something which people kind of consider as everyone thinks character is important, but it's largely subjective. And it's gone from really that to something which we can actually now define it. We can observe it. It's based on science. It's not just someone's idea. It's not Marion Gerard's idea of you know, what we think is character. It's actually rooted in science, rooted in academic rigor. Um, and they've, you know, over the course of time, they and I have gone around developing these different ideas and concepts mm-hmm. to make that accessible to leaders everywhere. I'm chatting with the co-author of The Character Compass. It was published just a few months ago in late 2023. And Bill, I know um, you talk a lot about the three C's, which are competencies, commitment, and character. No surprise that the character word is in there. So, you know, again, as we alluded to in the show intro, we've got all sorts of listeners on this program, big businesses, small businesses. How important is character to an organization's culture? So I think it's important. It's, it's fundamental to the culture. And indeed, well, I mean, when you think about culture, what you're really thinking about, you know, culture is really just the, the aggregate of the behaviors of all of the people that sit inside an organization. And so, you know, depends upon the, the, the aggregate of the character of the people that are in the organization. And so then you ask yourself, okay, well, where does that come from? Where do those behaviors? Cause that's really all we're talking about, right? We're talking about about habits of behavior, where do they come from? And organizations really make this attempt of we'll 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 have some sort of a, a you know we'll have a character statement, uh, we'll have town hall sessions, we'll 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 tell people what it is that we want. But there's oftentimes that runs into trouble because you know words can be ambiguous, uh, actions can speak louder than words, and so a lot of the times what happens in organizations is that is that although people start off with good intentions and what they hope to be, the character of the organization just largely becomes this sort of random walk. Well, maybe random walk's the wrong word, but it starts to develop in the way that just the the organization loses control over the narrative. And you also start to see sub-character or sub-localities or or subgroups start to develop, you know, cultures of their own. And so what we think we bring and have observed that we bring is we bring an accessible language, one that can be widely understood, a language that crosses, uh, it crosses, because the work of character crosses uh, contexts, it crosses mm-hmm. cultures, it crosses time. So it becomes this constant uh, type of language that people can use to rely upon to guide the culture of the organization. Amazing. I don't want to give away all the secrets because you have a lot of them in your book. It's called The Character Compass, Transforming Leadership for the 21st Century. So Bill, you know, just as a homework assignment for our listeners, I want to make sure we direct our listeners, get in touch with you. And of course, find the book. How can they do that? 
So the book is available uh, really anywhere anywhere you buy your books. So Amazon, for example, uh, Rutledge is the publisher. So R-O-U-T-E-L-E-D-G-E. The book is available through them. Uh, Really any sort of online outlet that you use. Uh, Leader Character Associates, uh, Mary and I have put up a website, leadercharacterassociates.com, and you can reach out to us there. Um, And then also the Ivy Business School. So I would go to ivy.uwo.ca slash leadership. Uh, and there you'll find all of the resources and all of the research that's been done over the last 15 years. Fantastic. We'll link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Bill. For a long, quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. As always, check out my website, sykline.com. Get on your favorite podcast app. Uh, and be sure to, to subscribe, rate, review, and share. It makes it even easier for business colleagues to find out about this program, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. But speaking about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, we know that bringing constant innovation to business processes to weather an incoming disruption involves having an open market mindset. An open market mindset ensures that organizations continually question the status quo, take educated risks on business process evolution, and develop contextual intelligence. That's exactly what I'm thrilled to talk about with Filippo Passerini, who is the president of PNG's Global Business Services and the chief innovation officer, who has been recognized as best in class in industry. And uh, his strategies have appeared in many books, including a new book called Revolutionizing Business Operations, How to Build Dynamic Processes for Enduring Competitive Advantage. Filippo Passerini, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very, very much. It's uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know you are truly a leader in the space, and it's truly an honor to have you on the program. So I always love to start in the very beginning before we get into the nuts and bolts about the book. Is Felipe, where do you catch this sort of innovation bug, and uh, why are you so passionate about what you do? Yes, the, the uh, innovation is a big part of... Uh, the work I've done uh, in uh, Procter & Gamble over 33 years in uh, different positions, different roles, uh, in line business, in technology, or the last 12 years, as you indicated, uh, president for our uh, global business services, global business operations. But uh, in all cases, it was about uh, constantly innovating um, the way we operate, the way we do business. And uh, the book uh, reflects much of that. You know, there, there's uh, yeah, innovation not only in the, uh, in the, the services, in the, uh, uh, in the products that, uh, that uh, you know, companies make, but also in the way they run uh, their business, in the operating model. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, so again, I'm chatting with uh, Filippo Passerini. And, um, you know, for for readers of the book, for listeners of this program, not everybody is that Procter & Gamble. We have a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs that are tuning in. And really, I love to, as we say, get down to business, provide them with the valuable insight and input that can help them drive that business transformation. So, Filippo, what advice would you have for an entrepreneur that's tuning in um, needed for a company to drive that business transformation? Well, the, the, what we offer is three um, fundamental uh, fundamental drivers. One is 
um, operating uh, process as, as um uh, as you indicated, um, as an open market, um, this is as opposed to mandating, you know, monopolistic way of running um, company company processes, company systems. Um, this way, we apply the same metrics, the same logic, the same mindset as you do in a business, and. Um, it is constantly evolving, improving, and as we said earlier, innovating uh, this this processes. Um, the second mind, the, the, the second driver is uh, accountability. So running processes as if they were individual products, individual brands. So, so you run these processes end to end. First of all, as opposed to you know fragmented and uh, functional silos. Is like uh, for a product, uh, you have uh, a clear uh, leadership and focus on uh, cost, performance, uh, customer satisfaction, which uh, internally to a company will be the employees, employees' experience. And of course, you know, constantly evolving uh, those processes. The third um, uh, driver is the uh, the operating model, constantly evolving uh, operating model. We believe these are three very, very important drivers which we have experienced in our, in our life. So what we offer is not uh, theoretical, it's, you know, practitioners' uh, experience and work we have mm-hmm. done in uh, Rotter & Gamble for many, many years and more recently as advisors to several companies. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with the co-author of a new book, Revolutionizing Business Operations, How to Build Dynamic Processes for Enduring Competitive Advantage, published in September 2023. And I'm chatting with Filippo Passerini, who again, co-author of the book and also the president of Procter & Gamble's Global Business Services and Chief Innovation Officer. Filippo, we're going to have to go to a break in a moment. And of course, we're going to come back after that. But I am really curious um, to understand what are the cultural traits of companies who are effective at, uh, at uh, call it, uh, professionalizing business process operations. Absolutely. So we believe that um, uh, the, the process operations uh, typically is an afterthought, you know, something that uh, you have to do uh, to run the business. We believe that can be turned into an ongoing competitive advantage in efficiency <laughs> in the uh, organization in effectiveness uh, in the business and truly, truly creating value in a number of ways. So that's where the competitive uh, uh, advantage comes. Not by being one off, you know, processes become obsolete and you have to make um, an intervention, uh, but um, to uh, constantly improve and constantly evolving uh, processes, and whether they are in finance, procurement, HR, supply chain, marketing, yeah, mm-hmm. across the board. Absolutely. Filippo, I've got a lot more questions for you, and I know you have a lot more to share. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation after a very quick break here on Get Down to Business. Don't touch that dial. All 
All right, we are back, and I'm continuing my conversation with the co-author of Revolutionizing Business Operations, How to Build Dynamic Processes for Enduring Competitive Advantage. Really, really awesome conversation with Philippe Pesserini, again, who has leadership as the president of Procter & Gamble's Global Business Services and Chief Innovation Officer, has been recognized on so many levels, currently consultant to several companies and C-suite executives. Um, Philippe, again, welcome back. Really, really fascinating conversation as we talk about uh, transformation over here. Uh, Filippo, before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the cultural traits of companies who are effective at professionalizing business process operations. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is technology, technology in 2024. So is technology prerequisite to business process transformation and, uh, from your from your foxhole? Well, um, technology is becoming so so pervasive and, of course, you know, more recently with AI, but in general, uh, the last uh, couple of decades in particular has played a truly, truly uh, critical role. However, we differentiate between um, uh, transforming uh, processes and uh, digital uh, transformation per se because fundamentally, Technology is an enabler. Technology is a means to an end. Um, what you want to accomplish is not to install the new technology, you know, assuming that uh, things will get uh, immediately better, but, um, but getting into changing processes, uh, streamlining, simplifying, um, uh, eliminating unnecessary uh, touch points, increasing the cycle time of the process as making the company more to draw faster. And of course, you know, technology is a critical um, enabler for automation, uh, first of all, and also to bring uh, new, uh, new, uh, new capabilities. But technology, uh, you know, we said more um, as, as uh, you know, to, to play that role and enabling role than, yeah. than, you know, per se, transforming the business. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, and, and the last area that I really want to focus on is just before we have to uh, cut this off in the conversation is I want to talk about culture, because I know that's something that you cover quite a bit, uh, quite a bit, of course, in your great read, Revolutionizing Business Operations. So where does culture come into uh, this revolution that's taking place? Yeah, we believe it's, um, it is a culture of very, very... Um, uh, personal uh, rigorous uh, accountability uh, driving um, uh, consistent um, improvement uh, progress uh, change um, uh, for the better with intent um, uh, fundamentally to accomplish um, lower operating cost, more efficient um, organization, more efficient employees, people uh, more effective in delivering the business, and um, and importantly, driving constant uh, evolution and uh, and, and innovation in um, uh, in uh, in uh, the company. So, so it's a culture that is a. Um, uh, sustaining, uh, mm-hmm. uh, creating value in the business. And in our experience, that can be absolutely done. Uh, it is it is very, very possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Filippo, I could talk to you for hours, my friend. I appreciate the conversation. I've learned so much. I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and find your book. So do you have a website where uh, where people can learn more about your book? Yes, yes. We can go to the Arbit. Yes, this is a revolutionizing business transformation. So it's RBT. Uh, com and uh, the book can be found there can be found uh, of course online uh, on Amazon and other online uh, retailers fantastic Filippo Pastorini thank you so much for joining us that's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business get on my website sycline.com be sure to subscribe rate review and share on your favorite podcast app to success let's get down to business